Welcome to the Story Walk, a podcast by storytellers for storytellers. And we hope that means you. Whether you identify as a storyteller with a capital S or if you just like to tell stories in your work, say as a teacher, librarian, counselor or a community leader. And not forgetting, if you're a parent or a grandparent looking to share stories and values with your family, And since the story walk is presented by Feast, the Federation of Asian Storytellers, our focus is on sharing Asian stories, celebrating tellers from the Philippines in the east to Turkey in the west, and countless storytelling communities that lie in between. Hello everyone. Welcome to episode 9, our last episode of the season. Yes, you heard me right. Last episode of season 2. Can you believe it? We started from finding a story and have worked together on the process to bringing it to our audience. Do you know we had 6723 downloads of the episodes so far. In fact, in July, we hit the highest number of downloads. 600 wow wow such a good feeling to be reaching so many of you out there thank you thank you for tuning in i'm anamika party your host from singapore and along with me are my two beautiful co-hosts shelly verma from switzerland and shobha das from india with the theme mythology oh i do want to add here anamika producing each episode based on themes reflecting asian cultures and values has been so rewarding and enriching and here we are in the grand finale of season 2 we have three mythical magical stories lined up for you in our miso dim sum and fortune cookie segment and just as we had mentioned in our teaser in the asia story segment of this episode We are going to serve you nuggets of wisdom carefully picked from all our previous 8 episodes. Join us later in pantry segment as we share and discuss what mythology means to us. But for now, let's move on to our first story segment, Miso, which is especially for children. Today we have Ambuja Nagarajan from India sharing one of my favorite stories from India about Lord Ganesh. Ambuja Wali, an IT professional, turned storyteller, trainer and public speaker, strongly believes that good stories spread healthy happiness. She is known for her performance elements that she weaves into her stories. ஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ்டோரிஸ
and that's when Shiva returned. Tananana. Shiva was Nandi's master, so Nandi couldn't stop Shiva. Shiva went straight inside the house. Parvati was shocked, but she also understood Nandi's loyalty towards Shiva. After a while, Shiva left on a very long trip, taking Nandi along with him. Parvati fell into a deep thought. I need someone loyal to me. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And she got an idea. She scraped the turmeric paste from her body and made a doll of a little boy out of it. She breathed life into it. The eyes of the doll opened, looked at Parvati and called Amma, which meant mother. Parvati was so happy, she named him Vinayak. Shiva was not aware of this. Parvati and Vinayak had a very nice time. They played hide and seek. They splashed water on each other. They made snow sculptures and what not. Days passed by. One day, Parvati called Vinayak and said, Vinayak, I am going to bathe. Don't let anyone inside. You are my protector. Huh? I am your protector, Amma. Uh, but how will I protect you? I don't have any weapon. Parvati looked around. There was a cane. She took the cane, gave it to Vinayak and said, This cane has all my powers. This will be your weapon. Ah, my weapon? Thank you, Amma. Don't worry. I'll take it. And little Vinayak started to guard the gate. I am the guard. Mm, mm, I am the guard. Mm, mm, I am the guard. Mm, mm, mm. As Vinayak was guarding the gate, Shiva returned, seated on his bull Nandi, preceded by his ganas or the forces. Na 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 na. A couple of ganas tried to go past Vinayak. When Vinayak stopped them with his cane and said, No, Amma is bathing. You cannot go inside. The Ganas were surprised. Hey little boy, do you know who we are? Whoever you may be, Amma says no, no means no. You cannot go inside. The Ganas were agitated. They tried to push Vinayak with their spears. Vinayak pushed them back with his cane. It was so strong that the ganas rolled and they rolled and they rolled and they fell at the feet of Shiva. Shiva was amazed. He got off his bull Nandi. Nandi went forward with a mace in his hand and said, Hey little boy, Shiva is the master. Whoever he may be, Amma says no, no means no. You cannot go inside. Nandi tried to strike a blow with his mace. Vinayak stopped it with his cane. It was so powerful that the mace flew and it flew and it flew and it flew and then it disappeared. Shiva was amused. He came near Vinayak and said, Hey little one, I appreciate your skills. But this is my house. I don't need your permission to go inside. No, you need my permission. And I am not permitting you. Amma says no, no means no. I am her husband. Whoever you may be, Amma says no, no means no. You cannot go inside. You are testing my patience. You are testing my patience. Go away. Shiva and Vinayak started to argue. Shiva's anger grew and it grew and it grew. And at last he took his trident and slashed off Vinayak's head. The little boy fell down, headless, lifeless. Hearing the commotion, Parvati came running. Looking at the lifeless body of her son, she got so enraged and she yelled, You took the life away from my son. I will take all the life away from this universe. Parvati is the mother of the universe. Immediately, there was pandemonium in the heaven. All the gods and demigods came running to Shiva and said, do something Shiva, do something soon. Everything is coming to a standstill. Do something. By then, Shiva had calmed down. Knowing that Vinayak was their son, Shiva turned to Parvati and said, don't worry Parvati, I will bring him back to life. 
he looked at brahma the god of creation and said brahma go find that living being lying with a head facing north and bring that head brahma along with few other demigods went in search of the head they searched and they searched and they searched until they found an elephant calf lying with the head facing north an elephant they hesitated for a moment but already it was late so they took the elephant head and returned shiva fixed the elephant head on the body sprinkled the holy water and breathed life into that body the little elephant eyes opened looked at parvati and called amma parvati was relieved at the same time she was upset my son with an elephant head shiva came near parvati and said don't worry parvati he will be called ganesha or ganapati which means head of all forces no one can harm him and everyone will worship him before starting anything all the gods and demi gods shared their powers with ganesha ganesha became the god of the gods parvati was happy that is how ganesha got his elephant head that brings us to the end of this story 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 ganesha story it is said that when there are obstacles on the way elephants don't walk past them instead they remove them and clear the way for themselves and for others too likewise ganesha's elephant head symbolizes wisdom intellect and perseverance one must have to clear all the obstacles thank you ambuja for that perfect story to begin our episode with i could visualize the story in entirety as i sat listening to you And now in our dimsum segment a segment for the adults we have a story on creation by Ayushi Agrawal from India Ayushi Agrawal is an expressive arts practitioner she enjoys the creative world stories open up for her and her participants in their art based self explorations India just witnessed the celebrations of the nine forms of Devi. My search for a story on her led me to the Shrimad Devi Puran, a Hindu mythological book on the divine goddess. This story of creation is extracts from the English translation. One day, Narada Muni, the traveling musician and storyteller, asked his father, Lord Brahma, about the creation of the universe. This was Lord Brahma's reply. In the former days when all was water I was born from the lotus that stemmed from the navel of Vishnu the preserver not seeing anything around I wondered why am I born who has created me there is no earth visible here then on what mass does this water rest I decided to find the root of the lotus stem I dived underneath the water and searched but could not find earth anywhere. Then I heard the celestial voice practice tapasya austerities. After years of tapasya on the lotus the celestial voice said create. Hearing this I was confused and thought to myself now what am I to create what shall I do? Just then two deities demons Madhu and Ketaba came to me and declared war evading them i dived into the water while holding onto the stem of the lotus there i saw Vishnu and the anand serpent bed motionless under the influence of yoga nidra Vishnu was fast in yogic sleep i prayed to yoga nidra who immediately left the body of Vishnu 
decorated with divine ornaments, she began to shine in the air. After she left, he immediately got up and fought off the demons. Shiva, the destroyer, also joined us. Then we three saw the beautiful Devi in celestial space. She said, O Brahma, Vishnu, Shiv, the two great demons are slain. Now do your work of creating, preserving and destroying the universe. Hearing her, we asked, O Devi, there is no wide earth here. All is one mass of infinite ocean. How do we create? I will show you one wonderful thing, Devi said, and a beautiful aerial car hovered above us. We took off and landed in an area that resonated with the sweet cooings of the cuckoos. Filled with beautiful fruit-laden trees, forests, gardens, animals and other beings. It was heaven. Our aerial car continued to Brahmalok. Vishnu and Shiva were bewildered to see the Brahma of that place sitting in the council hall. They asked me, O four-faced one, who is this eternal Brahma? I replied, I do not know who is this Brahma. Who am I and who is he? Next, our car, going with the swiftness of mine, went to the Kailash mountain, Shiva's abode. Full of sweet sounds of lutes and small drums, we saw Shiva along with his family and yakshas. Oh, Muni Narad, we were greatly surprised to see another Shiva. In astonishment, I sat down in the chariot. And in that instant, we reached Vishnu's home, Vaikuntha. We heard sweet, harmonious music in the divine place and saw Vishnu and his consort, Lakshmi, sitting together. Then came the most thrilling part of our journey. We reached an island where we saw a divine lady sitting on a cot, wearing a red garment and a garland of red flowers and bedewed with red sandal paste. Her eyes were dark, her face lustrous like the sun. Bhagavati Bhuvneshwari was sitting with intentionality emanating from her. She was sitting in the middle of the Shatkorn, six-angled yantra device. We all were wondering at her side when the four-armed lady gradually became thousand-eyed with thousand hands and thousand feet or so it seemed to us. Oh Narada, we were in awe and that's when Vishnu came to a definite conclusion and spoke to us. This is Devi Bhagavati Bhuvaneshwari, Mahamaya, Undecaying and eternal, she is the full, she is prakriti, nature, she is the cause of us all. She is eternal Brahma and also non-eternal Maya. She is the will force of the supreme self. She is the first creator of this world. During the time of Pralay, she destroys all the universe and draws within her body all the subtle bodies. At present, she is residing in the form of the seed of the universe. Behold, on her sides are seen duly all the vibhutis, manifestations of powers. They are all adorned with divine ornaments and anointed with divine scents and are serving her. O Brahma, O Shiv, today we are blessed and highly fortunate that we have got the sight of this Devi. The tapasyas, austerities that we practiced have yielded to us this fruit. It is she that is the Mool Prakriti, the source. She is the Maya, assuming all forms. We got down from our car. Seeing us standing at the gateway, the Devi Bhagwati smiled and within an instant transformed us three into females. We looked beautiful and were youthful. We venerated her and saw the pedestal of the great Devi, shining with the luster of ten million suns and decorated with various gems and jewels. 
filled with questions, I asked the goddess. The Vedas mention that one alone exists and that is Brahma and there is nothing else. So I ask you, are you the Brahma or is there another Brahma or is it me? My mind is still discussing whether reality is dual or one. Are you male Brahma, the creator or a female creator? The Devi replied, the world is created by Purush and Prakriti. Purush is translated as man but actually means the source and Prakriti translates to nature and refers to creation. Creation requires strength, Shakti. It takes both masculine and feminine energies to meet for creation to happen. There is always oneness between me and the Purusha. At the time of creation, the Brahma substance becomes dual. Like a face, though one becomes two, as reflected in a mirror. A man becomes double by his shadow. We become reflected into many. The necessity of creation again and again after the Prakriti Prales is due to the fructification of those karmas, actions of the beings, whose fruits were not enjoyed before the Prales. Total destruction. Only during creation are our differences conceived. When everything melts away, when there is general dissolution of the world, then I am not female, I am not male, nor am I hermaphrodite. I then remain as Brahma, source, with Shakti, energy, latent in it. Saying thus, she turned us back into our male forms and told us to carry out our duties. She gave me the task of creating the universe again. And now, with the knowledge gained from her and her energy, Shakti, I was able to create a world that could sustain itself. The ideas of duality and oneness, the cyclical nature of life and birth, the masculine and feminine energy constantly feed my curiosity. I hope this story also moves you to observe it within and around you. so much Ayushi for your beautiful and insightful story. You know, I've always found this complex interplay between Purush, Prakriti, Self, Nature, Spirit, Shakti, whew, very, very confusing, very puzzling. Perhaps because mythology is symbolic and such a mystery, open to so many interpretations and stories. to eye, mind to mind, and heart to heart. That is how the story should be told, right? Now, through this entire season of Story Walk, we learned how to find a story, shape it, and temper it with the right ingredients, our voice, body, music, props, and then deliver it with passion and perfection. Our hearty entree, Asia story, has answered so many storytelling questions, taken you on an insightful journey with an expert storyteller. And what a journey it has been. So for this final segment, we bring to you little bites, nuggets of wisdom from all the previous episodes, curated especially for you, for you to relive the journey once again. Well, I uh, usually come to my stories uh, in two, one of two ways. One is that I just generally read a lot. I, I have, you know, I participate in reading challenges. I buy a lot of story collections and I just read. I go through a lot of books and maybe there is one or two story in every book that I say, oh, this one I'm really interested in. So it's uh, part of it is just browsing constantly uh, the, the sources that are available. The other is that sometimes I seek out stories based on themes or topics. So I really like getting 
a request for a storytelling performance uh, or just a, a single story that fits some kind of a theme. And then I go out and, and search for that theme specifically. From the public domain websites to, the, to how to use the motif index, how to use the folktale type index. I, that's my, one of my basic recommendations to professional storytellers is learn to use the indexes. You learn to use the motif index and learn to use the Arna Thompson uh, folktale type index because it is going to make your world much bigger and much more exciting and they are like roadmaps or treasure maps to stories that you might not come across otherwise. Mapping a story is very important because it is about conveying not just how beautifully that story speaks to you but also that story seeks to be told. So the beauty of the story needs to come out and therefore the mapping process uh, breaking it down into its elements and going in bit by bit and working and reworking on every element is so important because you have to justify that story. Why am I telling this story? Mm -hmm. What in it made me tell it? What are the parts of my brain and my heart that lit up? And I begin mapping my story from that moment onwards. It is also about perspective that when I look at the story, I look at different things in it. And when I look at those different things, did anybody else see it like that? Maybe they don't. Maybe they ought to look at the story like that. Or that one question which I ask in the end. In my storytelling vocabulary, I call it the spark. This is the spark I want to ignite in my listeners. And I actively call it handing over of the spark. Every time I tell a story, there is a certain idea, a certain thought which my listener goes back with. It begin with that bumper sticker. Begin with that idea that thought that spark towards the end and then walk back towards it when you're telling a story face to face then the non-verbal communicators are also critical too in your gestures your mime perhaps facial expression body language such as your stance and the way that you move and in order to help your audience visualize the story, if you have to inhabit the story, go on the same journey as the protagonist, or perhaps different characters change the point of view as you are getting yourself familiar with the story, because you'll see the story in different ways. This is a very important part of making your telling your telling, as opposed to another storyteller. One of the ways that I encourage people to begin is to think about the senses to make their telling come alive. The non-verbal communicators are so important. And what you do with your hands, your gestures, how you handle things, how you might pick up, you can show the size of something, the weight of something, the texture. And perhaps in my voice, a texture that wasn't very pleasant, what I was picking up. It was uh, soft and squelchy and ooh, rather yucky. Yeah. Um, this is all visible, not only in the hands, but also in the face. When you pick a story to tell, there is an emotional connection to the story already. Something attracts to you, you to the particular story. I try my best not to uh, force the emotion into the story, but to listen to it. You need to listen to the story, to the audience, and you need to listen to yourselves. And we need to listen to the story. So actually, when you're on stage telling a story, you're doing more listening than the audience is. The story has an entity. The story carries emotions. So let's say, if the story is sad, if a story about loss, if it's a story about death, the story has the emotion already in it. That's why you're sensing it to begin with. So you must treat it as such. And we are a walking bag of emotions. You felt love, you felt hatred, sadness. So we have those emotions already in ourselves. So by listening to the story and by surrendering to the story's energy, uh, it's almost impossible to ruin it. If you just tell the story and let that natural tone of voice that you have for that particular emotion come in, then it's fail-proof. Just be honest with the emotion and don't be afraid of pauses. Sound and 
music takes us back to our origin and it goes really deep within us. And so I feel that um, that's one of the reasons why I would say that I use sound and music because it can touch people maybe in a different way than the words of the story. But sometimes just a few sounds can really give an atmosphere um, or, or a sense of the culture, even when the story changes in tone. So you can just put a sound... A wedding. And then I often use music for the passing of time. She was in the desert for many, many years. Especially for kids, but even for adults, the, the rhyme and rhythms, they can be like earworms and they can be really catchy and memorable. So that can just give that added element to your story. Rhythm, which is anyway something that we do as storytellers, we want to find the pacing of our story, the rhythm. And so, um, you know, instruments can help with that. I could use the prop to trigger a story. So uh, I've done that where I have, might have a table uh, on which a number of props are displayed and then I invite the audience to select a prop and I then tell them a story that is inspired by, triggered by, involving that particular object. Uh, props can symbolize something else. So for example, I have a number of fans and attached to each fan is a strip of cloth, maybe 40 centimeters wide and 1.5 to two meters long. And one is flame colored, another is water colored, and the third is rainbow colored. And so with the fire, I can start and I'm flickering, waving the fan low down to the ground, and the flames get higher and higher and higher. With the rain, of course, it starts the other way. We start very high and we get lower and lower. And so it all helps to create the atmosphere and develop a sense of participation too, making it very visual for the audience. And also, one of the good things about using a non-literal prop is that it really stimulates your audience imagination. The moment that you show something and say, uh, this is the crown, then of course that's what the crown must look like. Whereas if you're just telling the story and say the king put on the crown, then the kids will be imagining their own. According to me, storytelling is not just words, it's a combination of words, movement, gestures, and use of the whole body, I feel. I think it's very, very important. Of course, because uh, voice is the most prominent thing, because it is the tool for language. But nevertheless, there are also non-verbal, uh, you know, words. And that, according to me, means using your whole body. So body language is as important as your voice. Storytelling is just a conversation between the teller and the listener and we use the story to do it. Diane Falat, my very dear friend, she told me that Jiva storytelling is an emotional engagement or an emotional happening. So keep that in mind. So to me, emotions are very, very important. Then, with my experience, what I realized was, if you get the emotions right, your face will follow it, obviously, your facial expressions and so on. And following that would be your hand gestures and your body language, for which you have to give the true emotions. Not the emotion when, like, for instance, you might have a bad day, but that's your mood, that's your bad mood, you're angry, that is your personal emotion. But I'm talking about the emotion in the story the emotion that the story demands. So when you have that, all these work together and it is so easy. You don't have to be very conscious and say that I'm angry so I have to look like this, I have to keep my fist like this. No. That is your pretending to have an emotion. But I'm saying have it. Feel the emotion yourself and automatically rest will fall in place. Remember, storytelling is a very serious business. You have to feel comfortable with your tale. So when you want to begin, begin with a known tale or a tale that you like, that has touched your heart. 
feel comfortable about it and be willing, be wishing and you have to be wanting to tell that story. Go beyond your individual selves. Look for connections. Don't be caught in yourself. Attend storytelling conferences and festivals, but don't keep changing, analyzing on the outward periphery. Look at your own strength and potential. Watch out for your words, but don't get caught only in the words. So look at your staircase of learning, climb it one step at a time. If you fall down, pick yourself up again. Remember you've climbed one more step and you climb up. That was a really good summary of all the tips and advices we put together in this episode just for you. Listening to them makes me realize how far we have come from the time where we were looking for a starting point and now to be standing here ready to perform for an audience. Well, it's finally time for pantry segment. Shelly, Shobha, are you there? Anamika, Shubha and I, we were just talking about the theme of this episode. Isn't it interesting that we are ending our season with mythology? I mean, for me, the word mythology itself makes me very nostalgic. You know, um, as a child who grew up in India in the 80s, I remember sitting glued in front of the TV on Sunday mornings, waiting for the DD National, the national channel on TV, to air the latest episode of the great epic Ramayana. Oh, the gods, goddesses, demons, heroes, heroines, villains, jostling each other in the world. That was so magical. Believe it or not, my earliest memory of storytelling is planning and presenting every year the shortest possible dramatization of Ramayana along with my cousins. I remember playing parts of uh, Ravana, the ten-headed demon, Hanuman, the monkey god, and so many more characters all in one go. You know, we would source uh, bows and arrows, daggers and maces from the local street hawkers, and we would spend hours practicing before putting on a show for our very joyous and teary-eyed grandmother. <laughs> now I am feeling really nostalgic. What about you, Anamika? Does mythology mean anything to you? Does it trigger any memories in you? You know, Shelley, since young, I was always drawn towards Greek mythology for some reason. Well, the stories about the man of strength, Hercules, and then Medusa with all those snakes on her head the only lady I know who can turn men into stone with just one look. But the one that really fascinated me the most were the Merlin people, especially the mermaids. Well, I could just imagine them, you know, sitting on the rocks, singing, swimming all day, and even their hair long and beautiful. Oh, I would be glued to such stories. I was so happy when that uh, cartoon came out, The Little Mermaid. Oh my God, I watched it so many times that I could describe each part and narrate all the dialogues from the movie. And my families and friends were on the receiving end. Oh, I guess they enjoyed it too because they never complained when I was telling them the stories. Even now, I love to read and tell stories from various mythologies. How about you, Shobha? What's your take on mythology? Wow, listening to both of you, this surely is making me nostalgic too. You know, Anamika and Shelley, as a kid, I always thought these stories were real. And then when I grew up, much to my disappointment, I understood it was otherwise. But what amazes me is how the fabric of mythology is so beautifully woven into our way of life in India especially when religion comes into picture. So for me, mythological stories and its characters will always be this aspect that leaves me in a grey area 
where I'm forever left wondering if I can even demarcate as to where the story ends and reality begins? Or was it a story at all? While this confusion continues, let's move on to our next segment and the story it has for us. recently, while researching for one of my stories, I came across a medicinal herb named after the Greek goddess of hunt, Artemis. It's called mugwort. Believed to be a magical herb with divine powers, it was burnt as an incense and actually sometimes hung over doorways to keep evil spirits away from home. Imagine my surprise when I found it to be one of the key elements in a very famous story in Korean mythology. A story about the founding father of the first Korean kingdom. And that is the story we have for you in our fortune cookie segment today. Told beautifully in tandem by An Suk Kim in Korean and Parvati Ishwaran in English. Ansuk is a storyteller based out of Korea, studying Korean folktales and classical literature at Konkuk University. Parvati Ishwaran is a storyteller based out of India and is also one of our broadcast producers at Feast. She is a storyteller by passion and by choice and believes that stories are there all around us in plenty, as free as the air we breathe. If we are water, there is a fountain. If we are a tree, there is a root. The father of our nation is Dan Gyun. The father of our nation is Dan Gyun. Hello, we are very happy to introduce to you the Korean myth, the great king Dan Gyun. Thousands of years ago on this land, Dan Gyun founded a kingdom named Gojusun and became the first king. It was our first nation and it means we have a very long history. Every year we celebrate it as the National Foundation Day. We are very proud of him and this first kingdom. According to the Korean myth of Dangun, he was born from very special parents. His father, Hwan Ung, was the son of the sky god. His mother, Ung Nyo, was a bear woman. She married the prince and gave birth to Dangun. Now, let us tell you the story of Dangun. We hope you enjoy it. There was once a wise and brave prince, Huang Ung. He lived in the heavenly kingdom. Every day, the prince would look down at the human world and wish to go down there to look after the people. 아빠, 마마, 저는 세상에 내려가서 널리 인간을 이롭게 하고 싶어요. 제발 저를 세상으로 보내주십시오. Okay, you go down to the human world and help people with your wisdom, said his father. The prince happily headed down with the god of wind, god of rain, and the god of cloud. 가자, 친구들아. 저기 인간 세상이 우리를 기다리고 있어. 우리들의 힘과 지혜로 인간들을 도와주자. They came down to the holy mountain in Korea, and under the holy tree they established a holy city. The prince helped people by teaching them how to farm, how to get along with each other, and treated their illness. In the holy mountain, a bear and a tiger lived. Both of them looked at the humans and wished they could be humans too. Oh, um, yeah, Gomsuna, we do ingani de men, ulmana julka? Rrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
하늘에서 오신 왕자님이 우리 소원을 들어주실까? 어흥! 어서 가서 왕자님한테 부탁해보자. The tiger and the bear talked to each other. They went to the palace and asked a favor from the prince. 어흥! 왕자님! 왕자님! 제발 저희가 인간이 되는 길을 알려주세요. 왕자님! 저희가 인간이 될 수만 있다면 뭐든 다 할게요. 제발 저희들을 인간으로 만드는 길을 가르쳐 주세요. The prince felt sorry for them and handed the two animals some mogwort and garlic and said, Here, take these mogwort and garlic. If you stay in the cave for hundred days and only eat this and endure, your wish will come true. Oh, um. 이게 뭐야? 쑥과 마늘이잖아. 이걸 먹고 어떻게 살라고? 또 동굴에서 백일식이나 밖에 나가지도 말고 지내라고? 호돌아, 왕자님이 시키는 일이면 뭐든 다 하기로 했잖아. 어흥, 그래도 이건 너무해. 난 고기를 먹어야 된다고. 난, 난 못하겠어. 호돌아, 나는 왕자님이 시키는 대로 할래. 어흥, 그럼 하는 수 없지. 나도 할래. Thank you. Thank you, Prince. We will stay in the cave and eat only this garlic and mugwort. The bear and the tiger walked into the cave. Although they both started with excitement, soon the tiger started complaining. Oh, tiger. Let's endure some more. We've come so far. Let's hang on just a bit more. Please, don't give up. But the tiger couldn't take it any longer. He ran out of the cliff. Hoo-hoo! Goodbye, bear. I'm going. Now, the bear was left alone in the cave. It was hard for the bear too. But bear continued to eat mugwort and garlic and prayed earnestly. 오, 하늘님, 제가 제발 인간이 되게 허락해 주세요. Please let me be a human being. I will not give up. Then, one morning, the bear woke up and felt her whole body was itching and aching, shivering and shaking. Then, her woolen skin shed. She looked down at her body, touching her smooth skin. She shouted happily. Oh! 내가 사람이 되었네. I became a human. Look here. I'm a woman. Oh, my dream came true. My bear skin is gone. I am so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. She ran out of the cave. The sun was shining brightly. The birds singing merrily. People welcomed the bear woman. When she went to her, went to the prince, her beauty was glowing like sunshine. The prince was amazed by her beauty. He asked the bear woman, 곰순아, 마침내 해냈구나. 자, 이제 너도 인간이니 너의 이름을 웅녀라고 부르자. 웅녀야, 인간이 되어서 무엇이 가장 하고 싶으냐? The bear woman smiled shyly and said, I want to be a mother of a child, but I have no man to get married. The prince said, Your wish will be granted. Now you will be my bride. The prince and the bear woman became the king and the queen. The queen gave birth to a son. What a handsome, smart boy. He was named Dan Kyun. He established a new nation and named it Joseon. It means the land of morning cup. Beautiful name. It was the first nation in Korea. He and his successors ruled this kingdom over a thousand years. When he retired from his throne, he became a sanshin, mountain spirit, and we respected him. He always looked after our people. 우리가 물이라면 새암이 있고 우리가 나무라면 
뿌리가 있다. 이 나라 하나버님은 단군이시니 이 나라 하나버님은 단군이시니 Thank you Ansuk and Parvati for that seamless tandem telling in Korean and English. It is rightly said that when a story is shared in its native language, it instantly elevates the listening experience to a whole new level. And so, if you all want to treat your ears with more languages, then Feast brings to you as a part of its Olio Multilingual series, The Tales of Epic Conundrums. on 16th of november proceeding that 9th of november will witness the launch of eco story circle a special interest group led by franz stallings and the month of november in feast unfolds itself with the story gallery stories inspired by art a webinar by christine carlton so wait not Hurry and register yourself for all these wonderful events lined up for you in November. Thank you for your support as we come to an end to our episode today. Do write to us We would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on the episodes and season 2 as a whole. You can use storywalk@gmail.com to reach us. Well, this is Anamika saying goodbye on behalf of my co-host Shelly Shoba and all the rest of the producers, Dharanya, Kosar, Meenu, Nidhi, Prakriti and Parvati. Do look out for our next season in 2023 as we bring you more exciting topics to talk about. Goodbye.